to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's going on? Man, it feels like it's been a while uh, since I've recorded a show, and uh, it's because it has. And, you know, you know, here's some insider uh, tips and tricks for podcasters. What I do is I try to record as many episodes as I possibly can within a short period of time, do as much post-production as I can, and then cue them up. Uh, this is a necessity because, as you know, I'm a director first, I'm a filmmaker first, and oftentimes I get pulled off to do films or projects or commercials or whatever that is, and I don't want the show to stop. Um, and uh, my cue kind of dried up because <laughs> I've been so deep in the production, the post-production, the finishing of uh, my new film. And uh, I think I can say it. I'll say it on the show. The, uh, the title of my new film is, as of now, it's called Come Home, uh, which is starring Lance Williams. And uh, I'm able to speak about it uh, personally. I feel like I could talk about it with confidence on the show because uh, I am about 90% there on the edit of it. And it's fucking good. Uh, it's really good. I would say that, uh, without a doubt, this is the best performance from an actor that I have had in any of my films. No offense to anybody that's ever worked with me. This is just the culmination of me learning how to be a better director for actors, spending time reading Judith Weston's books and, and going through the process of prepping uh, all through COVID. Um, and then the results of uh, fantastic talent. Lance has been working on his craft for years and, uh, you know, on film working opposite huge legends like Denzel Washington, Stanley Tucci, and learning from those guys and just building his confidence on screen. And then our friendship, the, the connection that the two of us have had for years. And I've joked about it on the show that Lance and I have been working together for quite some time. And this is the first film that he's been in where his face is seen on screen. And that was a joke for a while. And, um, and uh, he really stepped up when he knew that uh, this was going to be a piece that he was carrying. And he stepped up and really built this character. And there are so many great moments that uh, eventually you'll see in this film that were made from our relationship, from our friendship and from our need and drive to uh, pull ourselves out of the dark and uh, make something great. And uh, because of the support of all of my friends and family and because of the support of Gina and, um, and Ian, my buddy Ian Spencer, uh, we've been able to make this film and I'm excited. So right now, to catch you guys up, I'm kind of spent because I've been cutting we are, I'm recording this on the 21st. I think I'm going to release it today, too. We uh, are at 90% there for the edit. Uh, Mike Tran is doing sound work, sound effects work. I have an amazing musician that I'm not going to sell you who's doing it yet, but an amazing composer, musician, a legend working on this. He's doing stuff. Um, and you should be as excited as I am because this piece is a lot of fucking fun. Uh, my writer, Will Simmons, was by the other day, and he watched the film, and uh, he loves it. So I'm excited, man. It's a, it's a cool thing to be at this position with all the insecurities and all the 
the prep and all the trash. Um, and, you know, it had been a while since I had directed because of COVID and everything else on one of my own pieces. And, uh, you know, you fall back in and you fail and you pull yourself up. You do reshoots and you redesign things in the cut. And it was just a reminder of how fluid this job is and how honestly uh, humbling uh, it is to start a film or to, to have an idea or to approach a bunch of strangers to convince them that the bullshit that's in your head is worth putting on film. So, um, yeah. And I bring this up because not only to give you uh, an excuse as to why I haven't been around that much, but also because I think today's episode really sort of talks about uh, the stuff that makes that we talk about on the show that makes us so very special as far as podcasts are concerned. I know there's a lot of filmmaking podcasts out there. I know there are a lot of creator podcasts out there and everybody's usually blowing smoke up their own fucking ass about what it is that they're doing. And we don't do that here. Of course, I'll tell you what's going on, but I'm also going to tell you what a fucking failure I am. And I think that's important. And today's guest, uh, I was excited to get him on. Uh, It was a very quick introduction between the two of us i had been introduced uh to some of his films uh he is a writer he is a director um and to be quite honest with you this is a fantastic episode and i wish it went on for another hour and change um because him and i were really connecting um the biggest thing from the outside if you look at his work the biggest draw for most folks is the fact that he has done so many Bruce Willis movies. He has, I think he said he directed nine Bruce Willis films, and uh, he is the person that shot the last scene with Bruce Willis before he walked off set, uh, finished the job, and retired from the business. Um, And uh, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. We talk a lot about it. Uh, We get into it in the beginning. We talk about what it's like to work with celebrities, work with the difference between working with actors and movie stars, which is fun. Um, and uh, yeah, Edward Drake joins me on the show. Writer-director Edward Drake. Uh, go check out his IMDb now and look at the list of movies. Uh, he does the Detective Night series with Bruce Willis, uh, Cosmic Sin. He's done all sorts of films. They all fit into the action uh, genre, some of them are action sci-fi, very ambitious films, um, and he's doing them on indie budgets, on indie time frames. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Um, so, very excited to have him on the show. Before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and for following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Um, yes. I am still answering DMs for those of you who want to see 12 kilometers. Uh, I have been digging deep, deep into the inbox. I have been sending out messages uh, from people that wrote to me four or five months ago at this point. Um, And I'm getting mostly the same responses, which is a sense of excitement and a thrill that they've been selected and that they're able to see the film and that they're able to talk to the director and give feedback. I love you guys. I love everybody for being interested. If you want to see the movie that everybody's talking about, follow me on Instagram. There are rules up there. um, And that is the best place to send me a DM. It has slowed down a bit. Uh, It was a point in time where I was getting about 30 messages a minute. 
I think I'm getting about 30 messages an hour now. So we're <laughs> since November 28th. <laughs> so it's been pretty fucking insane. Let's just put it that way. Um, also, be sure to stick around for the ad read section of today's show. We are doing a new contest. We are doing a new contact contest with Photo Deox, guys that make amazing lens adapters. We'll talk about that during the ad read. I'll give you some info on how to be a part of this contest. We pride ourselves on, on partnering up with great companies and giving away gear that will change the way your work looks. And I used a lot of their stuff when shooting this new film and the mixed media and the mixed lenses and all sorts of stuff. I'll talk about it during the ad read. All right. Um, well, let's let's get into it, man. I've got uh, a limited amount of time with uh, Ed uh, on today's show, so I just want to dive right in. So grab a seat, grab a beer if you want a beer, um, and uh, strap yourselves in for one of those honest, true episodes. This, this is one of those places that you can go if you want to actually hear how this business really fucking works. And today's episode's a good one for you. So strap yourselves in, crank those headphones up to 11. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of Love of the Process. Ed, thanks for being on the show. How are you, my friend? Good to be here. Thank you so much for reaching out. Yeah, How are you? I'm doing, dude. I'm okay, man. Like it's uh, we're doing we're recording this later in the afternoon, and I've been deep in uh, an edit for a new piece that I'm doing, so my brain is scrambled. <laughs> I, from uh, yeah, from your lips to God's ears, man. It's that time of the year where everyone's woken up, uh, shaking off the holiday fun, and we're we're all working. So it's a good time. Yeah. Uh, well, dude. I wanted to get you on because I, you know, I, I think I, I saw one of your flicks um, on pay-per-view and then I just sort of fell down in a hole and I was like, dude, this guy has been working hard. Like how many movies have you done in the past three years at this point? Oh, it's been a few yeah. and it was a great uh, time of my life and a very interesting sort of scenario that uh, popped up and uh, yeah, I'm very grateful. Very, very grateful. Um, I'm curious which I'm curious to hear which one it was that you I saw came I saw Apex was the one that I came oh, in no. on. Oh no. No. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that movie in good company, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, that was the one that I stumbled in on. And then I just fell into a hole when I was checking out your stuff. And yeah. it was like how like you've been you worked with Bruce Willis on how many movies? It ended up being nine films oh that I had the Good fortune and pleasure of working with Mr. Willis. And uh, yeah, he's a hell of a man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. I mean, and he's at this point no longer in the business. So like, he, did you, I would assume that you did some of the last movies, if not the last movie with him, right? I I did call rap um, on his final day on set. I called Cut. He came up, he gave me a hug. We did a little dance and he said, so that's it. And uh, he he walked off set with his friends with his head held high, and 
that was a hell of a memory that I'll never forget. Dude, it's crazy. And I'm sure I'll, we'll tackle some of that a little bit. But before, let's start from the beginning for the folks that are just meeting you for the first time that are listening to the show. Like, how how did you get into the business? Why directing? Like, how'd you get in? Growing up, I had a lot of issues verbally communicating and writing and reading and storytelling really was my way of leveling up and understanding how the world around me worked. So I was always reading. I was always watching film. I was always trying to see the patterns for mm-hmm. how the world works, for lack of a better <laughs> phrase. And then uh, I always wanted to be a filmmaker. There really wasn't another path for me. I you know, danced with uh, law for a while, but when I was 15, I walked onto the set of The Pacific, which was the sequel to Band of Brothers, which was shooting in Melbourne, my yes. hometown in yes. Australia. Yes, and. I walked onto that set and I was a bit cheeky and uh, I just pretended like I should be there. And it was incredible watching the machinations of a film set that uh, of that size yeah. up close. And a grip uh, spotted me and he clearly, like clearly I did not belong and he saw through it. And he said, look, if anyone, you, know, you can hang out, you know, don't steal anything. And if anyone asks you any questions, just say you're with Crafty. And <laughs> I've used that so many times to get on just if I'm walking past a film set in LA or uh, when I was up in Vancouver, I just say, Oh, I'm with craft services and (laughs) no one wants to mess with the crafty guys. Uh, So fun, fun little, little tip. Yeah. I I ended up getting a, I went to, I applied for film school uh, many times in Australia, Mm -hmm. got rejected every single time. And (laughs) then I made a little movie in Australia and uh, one thing led to another. I got a job offer to come out to LA as an assistant. And uh, yeah, it, it all happened overnight. There was no hard work whatsoever. And I just <laughs> clicked my fingers, touched my heels twice, and, and here I am. Oh, good. I'm happy that we're being honest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, if only, if only. Yeah, uh, I, get, I get a bit of like the, you came out of nowhere. What did you, how did you, like, how did all this happen? And uh, unfortunately, not many people like the the true story, which is it's a bit of hard work and a lot of luck and right place, right time and right attitude at the right time, which I think is pretty key and not something that's uh, usually drawn upon or discussed when looking at how people get to where they are. Well, well, hold on. What do you mean? What do you mean by this? Like, what do you consider the right attitude? I think most young filmmakers have an idea of how a filmmaker should be how they should act and it's definitely informed by uh, other filmmakers uh presenting in a certain way on social media or even mm-hmm. telling uh, you know, a lot of podcasts a lot of deadline articles and also how we see filmmakers portrayed in films and tv all this wraps up into this idea of what a filmmaker, an agent, a producer should be. And I promise you the people who walk and talk like that do not last long. <laughs> and if they do last long, it's because they're the son or daughter of someone famous. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's true, man. So the, yeah, for me, I, it's, you've got to be open, be open, you know, uh, respect the people that you're working with. You can be an auteur, at times, but there is a time and a place to roll up the sleeves, get the job done, and definitely fight for what you believe in and work together. Um, no film is made by a single individual. 
And that's something that I really believe that we need to uh, open our minds to, that it takes a village and we need to respect everyone from the kid who's pretending to be craft services and sneaking on set to, uh, <laughs> to the PAs, to the, to the grips yeah. and all the way through a post-production team legal um you know the intern in the distribution office uh distributor's office who's you know printing out um the deal memos like there are so many people involved in uh, making a film that you will never hear of and i'm just so grateful that i've had the opportunity to do this uh nine or ten times now and we are every single time i'm uh, i'm amazed by just the kindness and the support and i couldn't do this without um, without my team. So I'm very grateful. Well, yeah, I see, this is good. I'm, I'm happy that you brought this up because I'm always saying this on the show and it's nice to hear it from someone else too. Like it, there's this sense of ego that comes with inexperience and, and fear and people that, uh, don't know how to, you know, say that I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I think that that ego becomes toxic and we've seen, you know, through, the past few years of cancel culture, we've seen people sort of tackling these toxic people, but we mm-hmm. it's always been rewarded. Like if you put your head down and you're someone with, uh, you know, an ego and a, and a, and a quote unquote vision, supposedly you become a visionary slash genius director. And, you know, this is what everybody, at least when, when I was growing up, you know, in the nineties, that's what everybody thought it was. And you were striving to mm-hmm. do that. And you quickly, once you start working, you quickly realize (laughs) you're at the fucking mercy of everybody that works with you and Mm -hmm. you can't be an asshole. Like you just cannot be an asshole. And and the people that are assholes, I just, they have to have some sort of other way keeping them in the business. I just don't understand how, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Life's too short. There are so many individuals that, um, I hear about that are falling into the life's too short column for me. Yeah. And I'm, I'll be honest with you. That's a very entitled thing that I can say. And I'm in a very privileged position to be able to choose uh, who I work with for my next projects. Mm-hmm. And it, there are certain people that I, I mean, we ask our friends like, Hey, Hey, do you like this restaurant? Hey, what was the burger like from this joint? Hey, what was it like to work with this actor? Mm-hmm. And, and you hear that someone was a nightmare, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not going to spend four or six weeks on set with you uh, being a babysitter. I want to collaborate. I want to bring a character to life. I, I truly believe actors have the hardest job on set. Yeah. And there's just this this magic of when it clicks in. There's a, two great actors that I've had the opportunity to work with among all the excellent actors I've worked with. But Devin Sauer and Timothy V. Murphy, those two men can just on a dime, they can find they can find something in the chemistry of the location, their scene partner, just something. And that magic just comes alive. That is acting. And then you've got movie star acting, which is a very different thing, which is a, a heightened portrayal of an individual's personality. And they're two very different styles of acting that can when they collide, there can be beautiful fireworks or there can be a, uh, a dumpster fire. And yeah, yeah. the art of directing comes in knowing how to work with stars and work with, uh, work with both of those acting stars. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Cause yeah. you've worked with some 
some pretty big names and you've worked with some names that, you know, have been, have had reputations for being difficult to work with. Like what, what is your process with working with like a big star? Like how, how do you get started with that? Uh, in terms of working with a actor with profile, you, honestly, figuring out what they want out of the project is really key. Like, and sometimes it can be as simple as money. Yeah. Sometimes it's they want it to, they want to be able to show a new side of themselves, or uh, other times they wanted to just be able to run around with a, you know, a gun in their hand, jumping away from explosions, <laughs> but really figuring out what a star is attracted to in the material is one of the first things that you can do as a director. That's going to help you so much because you're going to be able to build a sense of trust around those reasons. Mm. And uh, take, for example, gasoline alley. We had this really interesting opportunity to take a, to create a very neo-noir world using a, film model that's usually reserved for a taken clone ripoff sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is the movies that usually get greenlit under that model that uh, Gasoline Alley was created under, they're usually reserved for your very basic programmer, action fair, you know, uh, more bullets fired than dialogue ever set on screen sort of thing. With Gasoline Alley, we got one through the system. And we had this amazing opportunity to uh, make the the dialogue as snappy as the gunfights. And I'm so grateful for that. And all everyone that came onto that project knew that. And we're like, okay, we have an opportunity here. Let's go for it. And consistently, um, the night movies uh, and the and Gasoline Alley, they're the ones that we we had a bit more freedom to flex. And audiences have been really responsive to them. So I'm so grateful for the opportunity to tell those stories. Yeah, I think it comes back to just the process for working with – look, to be honest, if you're working with an actor who is troubled and has some demons or just can be very aggressive, Mm -hmm. what I found is like meeting them at the start of the day and getting a gauge on their temperature – um, emotionally and sometimes physically because mm. if they've been out partying, um, <laughs> they're definitely not. No, seriously, you should not put them on set with any studs or zerkits or anything like that. Um, but emotionally, sometimes, like more often than not, you're going to have to play therapist to some of these guys uh, and women. And the uh, you, you know, you, sometimes you've just got to let the fire burn out. If they rant, they rage to you, they complain, they... Uh, you know, they blow up and then once they cool down, that's when you come in and you say, I hear you, you are heard, you are seen. Now get on your mark, say your line and let's go make a movie. Right. (laughs) And it's very cheeky and easy of me to say uh, on a podcast on a Tuesday afternoon in March, (laughs) but I promise you there's just patience is the number one virtue you can have as a filmmaker, not just for your career, but also when you're on set, just to get it right, there's always there's always going to be 20 seconds more time to eke out of your day to just get it right. If you have that one conversation that is like 20 seconds long with an actor about a motivation ahead of a scene, guess what? You just save another five minutes by maybe shaving off the potential of having to do another take. Yeah. And so it's just over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. So I, I haven't been in that position yet. I haven't been in the position where I'm working with larger names like that. And I've always been curious. 
about, you know, like how you navigate. Do you remember the first first big celebrity that you had to direct and and you might were you like shit in your pants that day like what was that day like for you it was by accident uh i won't uh, you know i think for a secret narrative but yeah it was by accident there was a, a film that i'd written and uh and a director was able for an hour or so and then around a corner walked number one on the call sheet <laughs> And I'd written the script. I was on set as the, uh, I was the onset writer as well. And it was lights, camera, action. It's like, let's go do it. And I'd already done a small horror feature at that, uh, at that point. And that was quite effective, um, but it hadn't come out yet. And so I was just going on, again, what I learned through working with the great actor, Timothy V. Murphy, that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And you know, if there's no matter how big the actor is, there's still someone who got into the game of creating, of using their imagination for a reason. And this this childlike sense of play that you can always tap into. Yeah. And so I think that's what I did. And that was uh, – and also, I unfortunately, I have a secret weapon that most of you Americans don't have, and that is a cheeky Australian accent where <laughs> I can tell – I can tell someone that they're doing it wrong in a fun little way and they will, it's very disarming. And I didn't realize I had that until maybe two or three movies in where I was couching every note, everything with, you know, I was trying to give 10 pages of backstory uh, to explain why someone is a smoker in a, in a scene or something like that. Uh And I realized that there are these really smart shortcuts to motivation that look, I, the films I've made have been shot in like eight days, nine days, 10 days and 11 days. It's crazy. And and you have to figure out and adapt and duck and weave. So when I say shortcut, I'm trying to ground these characters to a reality, to the visual language of the film as fast as I can and to be as consistent as possible. And, uh, yeah, I, I really found that the Australianisms that I could bring could disarm any tension that came from, what are you talking about? We're doing 12 pages today plus a car chase plus this plus that. And, we've, you know, we've also got to do press shots and all this other stuff. Uh, there's a way to take all that, like I was saying about uh, letting, you know, um, fiery actors burn out. There's a way to just, like, suck all the air out of that fire and just be like, guys, this is happening. Where we're going to do it. That's the amazing thing. So we can get ourselves a coffee, get our sides, and we can go start blocking. Or we can stand here and keep whining about it and uh, see how far that'll get us. And everyone has a laugh, and away we go. (laughs) All right, take a minute to talk about the men and women that support the show. I'm talking about the sponsors. Now, before you skip ahead, motherfucker, just hang out because I'm going to talk about the contest. We're going to run a contest giveaway. Free gear. Oh, my God. Free gear. Holy shit. Do I stick around? Yeah, you do. First up, supporting the show, friends over at Puget Systems. If you're a filmmaker, if you're a newcomer, there's a lot of new listeners that are coming our way. Maybe you are uh, a video editor. Maybe you are creating AI content. Maybe you are someone that is sound recording. Maybe you're someone that's just a gamer. 
right? Like Last of Us fans, right? How many of you played Cyberpunk? I actually really love that game. And that game ran really well on my Puget system, by the way. Really, I didn't have any of those floating fucking world issues or guns that were not aligned with the player's hand. None of that stuff. On my Puget system, oh, it ran so good. Get to PugetSystems.com and build yourself a PC. They're affordable. They're upgradable. You can build them specifically for what you need. You're not going to be told what hardware you have to use. You're not going to be forced to buy something that will be useless in two or three years, right? This hardware outdated by software upgrades, fuck that. Build yourself a computer that you can upgrade whenever the upgrades come at you, and it won't cost you a fortune to do so. Here's the thing, man. You spend money on a system that'll last you 10 years, uh, a couple years in, you could start charging to use it. So that system will make you money, especially if you're an editor. You're charging a kit fee. You're charging a studio fee, right? The computer's paying for it. Your, your, your studio fees. Just that and alone is great. Go to PugetSystems.com. Check it out. If you're someone that is starting your own post-production facility and you have to have multiple, multiple machines that talk to each other and that are all working together, Puget Systems is the place to go. Head on over there. You can pick out a system based upon the software you're going to use. They will hit you up with a base package, but then they want to talk to you. So you reach out, tell them what it is that you're building. And if you guys are lazy and you just want my smoking system, reach out to them and say, hey, what's Mike's edit system? I'd love to start there because I'm telling you, it's the shit. Multiple layers. I've been editing on it like crazy on this new film. Multiple layers of real time, full res, large format, airy footage raw black magic footage raw uh, sony footage all that stuff in my timeline at the same time playback real time full res effects layers blending full res it's the shit pugetsystems.com uh supporting the show friends over at fuji film fuji film have you guys used any fuji film cameras to make your movies you should they make amazing rigs, they make amazing photo cameras, amazing video cameras, and at this point, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, I know I've been teasing it, but they are going to be having a massive release of a cinema camera, a large format cinema camera, that is going to be affordable and that is going to change the marketplace. And what Fujifilm has always been known for is color profile and their amazing beautiful color uh, LUTs that they have within their cameras um, all that's going to be like rolled right into filmmaking um, and one of the reasons why I love Fujifilm as a sponsor is because they absolutely really give a shit about filmmakers that's their thing they love us so they've been supporting the filmmakers on the show you know that we do the Fujifilm creator series we talk to filmmakers where Fujifilm has actually financed their short films crazy man they're a great company um check them out i will put the links in the description of this episode and anytime you click these links it just informs the sponsors that you're listening and that you care and that keeps us afloat man that keeps us alive and i've given you some interesting links so let's say that you're someone that wants to buy a new still camera right uh you want, want to get one of their x series that's also a video camera uh maybe you want to get one of their super sweet lenses i have a 50 millimeter like one point four is a 1.4 lens it's beautiful beautiful cameras fujifilm click the links in the description of our, our episode 
Jesus, my brain stopped there. But while we're talking about Fujifilm, let's also talk about the fact that maybe you buy a new Fujifilm camera, right? Maybe you get the new GFX, right? You get the 100S, you want to do some large format. But prior to this, you were a Nikon person. Prior to this, you were a Sony person. So you have a plethora of lenses, right? And lenses that, let's be quite frank about it, lenses that help set the tone of your style, right? I have a 24 millimeter macro sigma that's a nikon mount that has set the tone and style for a lot of my photography i've had that for years and a lot of my movie stuff i just shot inserts of this new movie with that 24 macro and it is definitive it, you watch it and you go this is a mike film when you see the way i shoot it the angle i shoot how i do it it feels like my stuff now when we get the new fuji rigs i'm no longer doing it on nikon anymore so I'm like, ah, fuck, what do I do? Do I try to find, how can I find another lens that is this lens? I mean, this lens has been beaten down. And it's, it's all that wear and tear really makes the image what it is. That's why we found Photo Deox, right? If you go to Photo Deox, their website, you can buy or get your hands on lens adapters. So I now have adapters that will adapt my Nikon to the Fujibacks. And these lenses that were used to be used for like Super 35 sensor chips, it's fascinating to see how they cover a full frame, right? And how it changes the depth of field, all that stuff. And you can get uh, lens adapters that will not only put like your Nikon lenses on a Fuji, but some of these lens adapters come with ND stops in them. So now you can have ND on cameras that normally don't have ND. So that way, when you're shooting during the day outside, you can still leave that lens wide open and super soft, right? Maybe you guys are watching that show, You, where everything is super, super soft. ND helps you keep those lenses wide open when you're dealing with the sun. And that stuff is built into a lot of these adapters. Photo Deox. Now, we are doing a contest with them. So if you're following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, I will put up some rules either this week or next week about uh, entering in the contest, but you listeners are going to be the first to know. Um, we are giving away through them a $150 gift certificate, and that's plenty of money to get your hands on a sweet lens adapter. And now, look, if you're a filmmaker that likes to play in the anamorphic world, let's say you, you have a Fuji camera, let's say you have another rig, um, and you want to finally, finally get your hands on some PL mounts. They have a PL mount adapter for cameras that is awesome. It's awesome. That means you could put the same lenses that they shot the Joker on, on your camera. And if you're using one of the GFX that has a, a large format chip, it's as similar as using an Airy LF. It's crazy, dude. It's crazy. That means you're going to have it in your hands, right? Fuck shooting movies on your fucking iPhone, dude. Come on. You're going to have a brain, a chip, a great color profile camera, especially if you get one of those Fujis with, with fucking PL mounts on it. Come on, man. It's the shit. And we're going to make it happen for you. So make sure you follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or the podcast at the Love of the Process Pod. I will put rules up. I think we'll run this contest for a month. And at the end of the month, we'll give away the amount that you need to get your hands on one. You're welcome. And after you get your hands on it, if you're here in Los Angeles, will you... Where's your favorite rental house? I guarantee you, you make a deal with Boca, go to Boca Rentals, get down there and you check out all the lenses that they have in stock. You strap them on your new camera and look 
at what the difference is. It's going to be great, dude. I can't wait to do that myself. Get on to Boca Rentals myself with the new Fuji rig and the PL. And I just want to test out a bunch of their lenses and see how it looks on my little camera. It's crazy, dude. It's crazy. So if you guys haven't found them yet, if you're here in Los Angeles, check out Boca Rentals on Instagram. Their website is an incredible resource for young filmmakers. And these guys really give a shit about setting up relationships with the next generation of storytellers. They really do. So if you've always been scared about going and making a relationship with a rental house, it's like, I'm not as big as Martin Scorsese. Are they going to treat me the same way? Well, don't go to one of the big places, man. Go to one of the new spots, one of those, one of these boutique rental houses that know about what it is that's hot and they're run by young folks. Boca Rentals is the best place here in Los Angeles for renting gear, lenses, cameras, all sorts of shit. All right. Finally, before we get back to it, if you're a newcomer to the show uh, and you're overwhelmed by the amount of episodes that we have in our queue, and you're like, mm, I don't, I don't want to go back to episode one and listen all the way through. It's like, Ugh. come on, dude, go back issue one. You know, if you do listen to the whole show that way, you'll actually hear my fucking crazy journey. You'll hear my emotional journey too. There are episodes of us working in Boston and trying to figure things out in Boston. There's an entire series of me and Gina trying to move cross country. What it was like to pack up our old life, pack our bags, get in the car and make our way to Los Angeles. We document that whole trip, document being on the road when we didn't even have a fucking lease signed. It's crazy shit, man. All that stuff can be found at inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've curated episodes there by subject material. If you don't want to go back through the queue on whatever podcast provider you're listening to. Um, And it's a great place to check out supplemental materials for each episode we record. All right? Lovewiththeprocess.com. Back to the show. It's cool to hear, man, because a lot of people don't talk about this stuff. And I think this is this is the stuff that, you know, you go to film school, no one really preps you for this. This is the, mm-hmm. the stuff that you you get on set and you look around, you see some, if you're lucky, you see someone else do it and you go, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right, I'll remember that next time. Or mm-hmm. you just sort of flounder your way <laughs> accidentally into a situation. Yeah. Um, These are the, the intangibles, I call them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I really want to look, when I listen to your interview with Joe Carnahan, who is a phenomenal filmmaker. He's a great guy. And he, I've got a lot of friends who speak incredibly highly of him. I've not met him uh, personally, but what a, like, what a director. He's amazing, and, dude. Yeah. Um, your, your conversation with him, I, I think what makes this podcast quite special and as a really interesting tool for filmmakers and creatives and storytellers is like these intangible little things that you'll never pick up through watching a, a coconut or, um, or Kukondo, uh scene breakdown video or a nerd writer right. video or, or all of these right. incredible resources that are out there now, yeah. and Vimeo videos, just honestly rapping and like letting a couple filmmakers cook and talk and you're a filmmaker yourself. You've done incredible work. Thanks, man. And I think that 
yeah, I think that's why a podcast like this can be special. And my God, I wish that we still had directors' commentaries. Yeah, me too, man. Came out, but podcasts like this are the next best thing. Yeah, yeah, and that was you know this is the reason why I started the show. It, it was mm-hmm. you know growing up, and I've I've had other guests. I think uh, Big Black Delta and I talked about it. And there were other directors that had been on the show. I mean, we grew up under the the uh, the 90s spell, which was like, hey, look, mm-hmm. if I start my career, I go do music videos, then I could end up being David Fincher. If I, you know, and and we're basing a business strategy in, in such an unstable field based upon mm-hmm. like EPK, like press kits and shit, you know? And, and of course, when someone puts out press, I mean, you guys can see it when you watch behind the scenes clips and that whenever there's a behind the scenes clip, there's a formula to it. Introduce to the mm-hmm. actors and all the actors say the director's a genius. He's a great guy, blah, 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 blah. They're all the fucking same. And, mm-hmm. and whether you're sorting through behind the scenes, which is they're never going to tell you actually what happened in it. Or if you're flipping through the pages of American cinematographer and they're just boasting about like, Oh, I had a couple condors and I put some con. You're just like, no, no, no. How the fuck did you do the nitty gritty? Like, how did you, you know, deal with this actor? How did you process, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the distributor fucking you over? Like these, these are like pretty epic fails that, that hits you hard when you are in the belief system that like, I've done everything correctly. I've made the music videos I'm supposed to make. I've spent the hours that I'm supposed to do. Why am I having this fucking trouble right now? And I've run into that quite a lot in my career, of like, how come we just got fucking turned down? Or how come this happened? We had everything lined up the right way. And you realize how much of it is chance and how much of it, like you said, is luck and is being at the right place at the right time or going out at the right time with a movie in the marketplace that isn't at the same time that Harvey Weinstein's being canceled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you, yep. you've got no real choice other than, you know, working on your craft, but you, there's no control that we have over anything that happens to us, you know? Absolutely. And the other thing that no one wants to talk about is how connected you need to be because the most talented filmmakers for my money are, uh, are not getting the opportunities to step up and make their films. And it's related. This is a relationship business, uh, more than it is a talent business, uh, at one end of the scale. And it's, uh, you know, you can do the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. Uh, you can, like you said, do the music videos, do the branded content, the commercials. What sets you apart is your voice as a filmmaker. And now in 2023, I'm seeing this big push for creatives have to be their own brands to break in. Yeah. And the I think it's the Waka Waka guys out of Australia who just took a film to Sundance and scored a great deal got reps uh, at WME out of it. Yeah. That That is a model that I knew someone was going to tap into and I've been waiting for someone to do that for years and years and hats off to them. They're absolutely crushing it right now. And you need to build, you do need to build an audience yep. and through skits and short form content and all of these amazing digital technologies available to us it's never been easier to make a movie it's never been easier to try to make our friends laugh with a video that we can send to them when they're halfway around the world mm-hmm. and if you take if you just take it to that next step and you start you know building an audience with you know if uh 
yeah, you want to be a musician, great. You can play the TikTok game right now. Um, I'm sure there's going to be another platform that's going to come out. But with being a, a feature filmmaker, like I still really believe in features standing apart from television experiences. Don't get me wrong. I loved uh, so many great TV shows last year. And yeah, Andor, but- I think, is in- freaking incredible. I am... Um, but I'm, I'm I'm there with you, brother. Like there's something yeah. there's something different about being able to take all the time and resources and put all those completely into an hour and a half, ninety minutes, instead yeah. of taking that same kind of budget spreading it over four hours. And it's, you're just like, yeah. fuck, man. Yeah. The resources haven't expanded with the amount of time that we're shooting. I just mm-hmm. I have less to 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 make this stuff look good. Mm. You know, the economics of it definitely are outweighed for TV right now. Because you can, um, if you're a production company or producer, uh, and you can tell one story, you know, one one two hour story for ten million, or one, say eight or nine ten hour story at four three to four million uh, per episode. Mm-hmm. There, there is a you know, it's a it's a business, the show part of show business. It's a business, and there's definitely. Uh, there's a lot of leverage to making stuff as TV right now. However, I think what lives on is features. I think one, I mean, look, if, if we're lucky to create one great film in our lives that lives on, mm-hmm. um, and there's something about a feature film to me that is just so special, just a contained world, especially not necessarily something that's setting off, setting up 10 different spin-offs. Yeah. But if you can tell one great story, and even if you tell one great story within you know a greater universe, but one great story, that's the that's the dream. That's why I think something like Mad Max Fury Road oh, dude. is such a unique film in that it's building off a pre-existing world, but it's a complete story that you don't need to have seen the Road Warrior or Thunderdome to understand and fully appreciate what's going on in that film. Yeah, you know what I like about that movie more than anything. It's that it's a showcase for a storyteller. Mm. And I feel like, I think there hit some, like, uh, lately, we haven't been that obsessed with storytellers. I mean, after the Oscars this year, hopefully we are. Um, But, you know, prior to this, it's always been about the logo, right? Like, what production company logo, what uh, distributor logo, like uh, Netflix has everything. All these brands have their specific logos. It's never really been about the filmmaker push. And the big concern that I've had with the streaming services is you don't want to just do a piece and then just get lost in a fucking streamer where mm-hmm. it's just like, hey, I, I, we spent all this time and energy to make this really gorgeous uh, film. And then it's just lost in the queue somewhere. It shows up next to like, you know, uh, housewives and like some cook-off fucking program. And there it is in the lineup, you know? And I, I think that what I love about Miller and it, he Miller did it cause he's Miller and everybody's obsessed with, you know, road warrior and obsessed with mm-hmm. the, the originals, but he walked in there and said, Hey, I'm not just making a sequel. I'm going to showcase how much I've learned since I made the movie about the penguins and <laughs> since I did all that stuff. And I'm just going to do this beautiful um, study uh, in craft and you, mm-hmm. you watch that movie and it's, it's exceptionally craftful, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a great story that John Steele tells in this uh, ASC video, like conference presentation about how he, 
the production was forced to hand um, Warner Brothers a draft, like a written screenplay draft of <laughs> uh, of Fury Road, and he and John is like to- one of the most honest people you'll ever meet, and he's like, and it wasn't very good, and if it wasn't for the fact that we'd already burned a hundred million of their do- like hundred million, they probably would have like shit canned us then and there, and. <laughs> I love that, and, but that speaks to the other side of the game that you've got to play, which is getting people passionate about the storytellers, about the story. Yeah. And I would counter that now more than ever, if we, we, we can be quite agnostic when it comes to who's publishing what content because outside of A24 and HBO, there's not defined branding for a lot of these streamers. And A24... A, is quality, quality, quality filmmaking. Uh, HBO has commanded Sunday nights for 20 years for a reason. Yes. But to Joe and Jill in the Midwest, they want stories that speak to them. And if it starts with a big da-dum Netflix N, or if it's coming from a, a lesser known um, a lesser known distributor, I think they're very open to it. I think it's word of mouth is more important than ever. There's too much glut. We are seeing now a massive consolidation in the industry heading back towards like quality over quantity. Good. And it's a, yeah, it's a really, really interesting time where if you are a filmmaker with a singular voice and have an audience that you can show that you can bring over, well, the sky is the limit. Yeah, man. Uh, that's good, man. And it, I've been working on that myself for quite some time, just building an audience and building folks. And, you know, a lot of people are like, why don't you just release 12 cam to the public? Cause I'm building an audience. So it, mm-hmm. it's, in, it's very important. And it's nice to hear you say those things because I've always felt the same way. And I've always felt that there's a sense of protection that comes with an audience. This is, there's a sense of mm-hmm. like being able to go like, no, I know what the fucking fans want. I know what these people want to see. Like stop yep. trying to bully me into some, you know, bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, James Wan is a great modern example of it. The Cohen brothers talk quite openly about how they met a lot more challenges after the collapse of the DVD market because they knew that if they were making their five to ten million dollar indie, that the investor was going to, no matter how it performed theatrically, was you know, it was pretty pretty safe to say that they were going to recoup on the DVD VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, blockbusters going to buy, you know, 10 different blockbusters in one county is going to buy a hundred copies of the film, like that model that I, I can't understate how much, uh, that was propping up the film industry. And then when Netflix came in, it revolutionized everything. The, the internet is, uh, for, you know, awards and all analysis comes down to it's the greatest distribution machine of all time. Mm-hmm. And that can go, that can disrupt everything. I, you know, this is a, a strange segue, but I'd love to hear what you think about this new AI mm-hmm. push that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's incredible. I think we're going to see some incredible filmmakers and storytellers rise up and use these uh, new tools uh, to tell stories that we've never been able to tell before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I can see the old guard um, being quite defensive. Well, yeah, man. I mean, it's 
It's like with anything, right? So you you find a system, you find your way up, you cl- you claw your way to the top, right? And then you start to set up mm-hmm. gates and fences around your fucking, you know, your castle that you yeah. built for yourself. And you're just like, please, just last until I drop dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I think that that is the system for anybody and everybody. And regardless mm-hmm. if you're, you know, the younger folks don't think that way because they haven't got to that point yet. And, yeah. and I think that AI is a... Uh, a tool. And I think at the mm-hmm. end of the day, there's, there's a lot of folks that are like, you know, AI is stealing from artists and AI is stealing from all these different things. And just the general nature of it, yes, uh, there is a lot of like, you know, taking out the artist's works and why wouldn't you pay an artist to do something if you're going to do it for AI? Sure, I, I get that. And it's a very slimy, weird little section of stuff. But this, this business has always been that way. I mean, fucking YouTube wouldn't be YouTube if it didn't sort of like turn a cold shoulder to all the copyright videos that it allowed people to upload to make them the most popular website on the fucking planet. You know what I mean? So it's a slime bag business and it always has been. And so I think the thing that settles me as an artist mm-hmm. with AI stuff is that at the end of the day, I can sit down and I can type some sentences into an AI generator. And then the, the art form there is me trying to figure out the right uh, sequencing of, of sentences that will create what I think should be made. And th- mm-hmm. th- that's kind of the art form. But at the end of the day, at, as of now, AI is still referencing stuff that's made. So it's always yeah. doing some sort of large scale Google search where it's mm-hmm. hunting for like lighting situations that look like this, actors mm-hmm. that have done something like this, faces that do this. And so a lot of the shit that we've seen early on is people sort of living out their their, uh, you know, cosplay fantasies of like, you know, what if fucking David Lynch did Ghostbusters? You know what I mean? And you're sort of mashing. What if I put fucking lobster tail on this cheeseburger? You know what I mean? It's, it's, It's that kind of fucking thing. But at the end of the day, the thing that you and I have and anybody listening to the show that's ever created something has is we've been slowly building this pink tissue between our ears (laughs) that makes us worth something. And Mm -hmm. the same way AI takes reference of things that have been created to make it stuff, we do the same thing with our own lives. Like we remember certain emotional moments, we remember how things looked, and we're processing it the same fucking way. And so the difference is my shit is based upon life experiences that I have, not based upon other things that are already made. Yes, absolutely. And no one, and that's what I think is voice, right? Yep. Yep. That's voice. Yeah. That's voice. So we've just solved how to uh, protect artists uh, about, uh, you know, this coming AI revolution. How about we, we move on to climate change and uh, curing cancer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. It's too much. <laughs> Some of the conversations that I hear people having, like there's this WGA strike that's looming in the air that for my money, it's going to like, if I was a a gambling man, it's going to happen. Yeah. But it's also uh, kind of given people a soapbox to talk about, well, uh, you know, if we're talking about threats to filmmakers and writers, we need to talk about mid journey and stable diffusion. And I'm like, no, you don't come on. No, there is not 
look, potentially someone is going to be able to look the um, what chat GBT just passed the California bar, which is notoriously one of the hardest uh, bar exams to, uh, to pass in, in the world. Yep. So, you know, I, I look forward to welcoming my future robot lawyer with open arms and hopefully a very low retainer. However, <laughs> when it comes to that beautiful thing that makes a story unique and I'm, I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, the optimist within me is hopeful that we're still going to have time for the singular artists like the Daniels. Uh, it, you know, it, actually, it's such a strange thing. As soon as I said the Daniels out loud, <laughs> I realized that I guarantee you they've already thought of, um, well, what would our movie look like if we had asked AI to write it? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Or to, to visualize it, visualize key scenes and how different would it be from, um, how, how different would it be from uh, what they were able to bring to life with their natural creativity? Well, dude, but dude, it's just, uh-huh. a t- it's yeah. just a tool. It's just a fucking tool. And what you're going to see, you're going to see the scumbags in our industry, right? That don't want to pay for things. So the scumbags yeah. are scumbags no matter what. These are fucking assholes that you don't even want to work with even when you're when you're making stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to go, well, this is a cheap-ass way for me to do stuff, and I don't want to fucking pay people to do stuff. We already see it. There are websites out there where you can hire technicians for, like, less money that they're paying five-year-olds to build sneakers in a foreign fucking country <laughs> to do yeah. compositing for you, right? Yeah. And there are still scumbag fucking uh, producers that are doing that shit. So mm-hmm. here's... The, the, the pure joy that I get out of that is that no matter what, they're just inc- they're not creative people anyway. So the stuff that they're going to make, maybe there's like an Im- impressive sequence. Maybe there's an impressive visual that was in there, but it's still a big piece of dog shit that, that's going to get made. So at, at, at the end of the day, man, like, <sighs> wow, you fucking triggered my rant. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing here's what really grinds my gears yeah (laughs) but dude i was just talking to my girlfriend about this the other day she's a director she's a photographer i'm just i'm wrapping up on a new piece that i'm working on right now and Mm -hmm. the the happy mistakes the discovery that happens because of stress elements multiple personalities all these things that sort of flow together, the life experience that is creating something, whether you're making a fucking meal or if you're making a film, is what makes it special. And I think every human being on this planet can identify that special thing because life is not perfectly curated. The shit that we go through is surprising and strange and you get cancer out of nowhere. You meet mm-hmm. the love of your life while you're on a fucking in a fight with a bus driver. Like y- you cannot calculate these things and that's what makes good stories and y- you have to have the kitchen space to do that. Does that make exactly. sense? Yes. Yeah, 1000%. Yeah. And we're getting there. We're getting there like it's never been easier to make a film. Yeah. Uh and for better or worse, we're going to see a lot of a lot of these AI technologies enabling individuals that I'm, like you said, the the scumbag producers. But I do think that the cream rises to the top 
and we're yes. seeing an audience refocusing on uh, quality over quantity because time is so scarce as screen, like what we create, the stories we create as filmmakers, they're presented to us through screens. There are so many different ways for people to entertain themselves now. Uh, and that's like, we're fighting for time with Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, um, and, you know, it's actually really heartening to see that good old-fashioned reading a book has come back uh, <laughs> since COVID. So we're under threat from the books. And if someone's got to do something to stop these goddamn books. <laughs> yeah. It's book burning time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that was quick. All right. Yeah, well, dude, like, um, yeah. I, but everybody is, is projecting – a lifestyle that they think that they want to live, right? So when you when you when you log into Instagram, it's you know hashtag living my best life and filters and all that kind of shit. And whenever I meet people, and I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough because of my life choices and what I've decided to do with my life, that I haven't had a real job since I in like twenty two years. Like I, since mm. I was house painting and doing mechanic work, I haven't. Yeah done anything other than this job for 22 years now i've sacrificed a fuckload i don't have kids like i live mm -hmm. a very specific sort of financial way um mm -hmm. in order to make this stuff happen but anybody that i encounter that doesn't do this job they always look in from the outside and they go you live such an adventurous life your, your life mm -hmm. is so free you have the ability to do all these things and your life is so great and oftentimes i'll laugh and i'll go you made more money this year than i did in three fucking years like mm -hmm. you know you're you should be having the same fun that we're having we just decide as storytellers to really embrace the experience yep and absolutely the experience of being a starving artist yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> but hey, i'm with you i'm with you brother i had the choice to look i had a, a disastrous experience on with a music video where a manager pulled the plug the night before the shoot and oh. I had already paid all the deposits and it was quite a significant production and they were a UK manager oh. and uh, it wiped out my savings overnight. Oh. And the production company that was running through uh, was American and they said, well, we're actually doing some other videos with this guy, so it's going to be a wash for us. I said, okay, great, you can pay me back. And then they, uh, they ghosted me. Oh. And so I had like... I think it was like six or seven days before rent was due. And so I prepared myself for moving into the car because uh, otherwise I would have had to go back to Australia. Yeah. And then I learned to get by on 10 bucks a day um, for food. And then, uh, you know, you make your choice. You make these sacrifices. Honestly, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, I wouldn't change that experience for the world. And here we are. Yeah, dude. That's cra yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And it, we, we live on such a teetered edge and I talked yeah. to, I talked to dudes that, you know, are making, you know, like 10 million, $20 million movies and they're still living on the jagged edge of like mm -hmm. constantly putting all their cash into their projects. And it's, mm. it's a, it's a crazy fucking life and, um, kind of crazy. We're delusional. We're, we're literally being paid for our delusions. <laughs> like there's a, there's, Hey, uh, Mr. Studio man, would you like to pay to hear the voices in my head? Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> And we think millions of Americans would love to see that in cinemas across the U.S. Yeah. Like, great. Like, we are delusional. 
uh, as creators. It's true. It's true. It's true. I I don't think we can walk that line of, yeah, I I don't think I could hold down an office job. Um, Truthfully, I don't think I'm cut out for anything else but this circus that we call an industry. And, um, you know, I'm uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing a bit of normality in people deciding that this life isn't for them. There's no shame in walking away from being a filmmaker or an artist. Yep. And I think COVID, um, COVID was obviously terrible for so many millions of people, but for a lot of people in LA, it was this like clarifying moment of, if do I really want this out of life? Yeah. Some of my closest friends were like, yeah, it's not worth it. And now they are happy. They are healthy. They have, they're on their way to starting their own families. Um, they moved away from LA and they, it's not that they gave up on the dream. It's just that they realized that there was so much more to life worth living than slumming it in LA <laughs> and uh, trying to do self tapes on the phone, you know, using their phone and worrying about if the backdrop backdrop is going to fall off halfway through because they can't afford the right tape to keep it up on the wall, you know, stuff like that. And I think happiness and healthiness, they need to be out, you know, the mental health of filmmakers and artists, uh, it's something that's not as sexy to talk about as the art. Yeah. But we, there's that great Jim Carrey quote about working with Michelle Gondry where Michelle asks uh, Jim to, to stay broken. And I think the best artist gives you the best work when they're at their help, happiest, healthiest, and most supported. And there's a re- look happy and healthy people don't get into the film industry in my experience <laughs> so I, I don't know why i'm being so sassy today i think it's because I, uh, I love it dude it's I, great i didn't get my yeah i didn't get my coffee this morning but <laughs> I, I just really think that there's uh, got to be a, a conversation around like guys if you don't want to do this you don't have to do it like yeah. there's no shame in uh, you know like we've honestly we we need more laborers in the world. I have more respect for laborers than, uh, uh, you know, most other professions. School teachers, the fact that we get paid more than school teachers is mind blowing. It's crazy, to me. dude. It's crazy. Yeah. Dude. The work that those, those like legends do it's crazy. to shape and give, you know, give this world a, a better tomorrow. Yeah. And we're here being like, Hey, is this too much blood? <laughs> like for an explosion? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know how I'm feeling. It's like frappuccino. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling so insecure about this edit. You know, you're just I know. Like, yeah. Man. And they're like, oh no, we're just shaping the hearts and minds of you know, tomorrow's <laughs> the next generation. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's I mean, like I've I've been very open about it on the show. Like I ended up, you know, like I'm a tough kid from the East Coast. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of getting therapy, it was like, what are you in what are you what are you, what are you wuss? You know, like it was yeah. there was that whole thing and i ended up getting therapy because of this business and and Mm -hmm. thank god i did because this business is so bipolar and everything that we deal with is ups and downs consistent in the course of a day you can suddenly be the next fucking ben affleck and then two Mm -hmm. hours later be like nobody and unemployed and can't pay fucking rent Um, exactly you know and and you're right dude like i've hit points and i'm sure you have too where you get to a point where you're like what the fuck am I doing this for? Like, yeah. I, I could be happy. I could just be focused on go get a job somewhere, go get focused on work and mm-hmm. and relationships and travel the world and do all sorts of really fun things. 
I, yeah. th- there's this pressure, I think, put on us, especially if you start with an idea that you want to do something and you have this dream that it's like, if I don't do that, then I'm the ultimate failure. And if I don't follow mm-hmm. through on this, then what the fuck have I done all this for? Yeah. And it's a good motivator, man, to to keep you going. But, you know, you're right. Like, mm-hmm. if you're hitting your 40s, if you're hitting a point where you're just, you're not getting the rewards at it. Like, if I didn't do this new short, because mm-hmm. I was in a real low fucking place. And if, if I didn't do this new piece, and if I wasn't laughing and cackling, and, uh, no. you know, it really enjoying myself, I don't know if I'd still be doing it. Yeah, man. And that's so important that we still find joy in the process to, despite all the heartache. Yeah. 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 Man. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, this has been fantastic. Um, I feel like this is uh, this has been a very pleasant surprise when you reached out. I wasn't uh, wasn't too sure what to make of it, but uh, this couldn't have gone better. And Now, what part of the world are you based in? Oh, I'm here in California, man. Oh, excellent. So if you ever well, want to get beers and talk about this shit in real life, we can uh, we can go way off the rails with no one listening. <laughs> we can take this into real life. We can, yeah, all right. Book burning's just the start. Let's go off the deep end. <laughs> yeah. That's the quote. There's the quote. Uh, um, dude, thank you so much for taking the time. You do an incredible thing um, being able to share, uh, you know, the manic ramblings of filmmakers uh, to the world. So uh, thank you very much for, for sharing mine. There it is. Today's episode with Ed. Uh, good dude, man. Fucking great guy. And and, and he unfortunately had a, had a hard out. Like I said, we could have gone a lot longer. And I didn't realize that he was Mark Romanek's assistant. There was a bunch of questions. I got to try to get him back on the show, man. Because I, I know we just sort of scraped the surface of what's going on. And we talked a little bit about AI stuff. I'm going to do some shows on AI. We're going to get some folks in here. And we're going to talk about that. Um, just because I know it's on everybody's minds. And there, there's a like a very sort of polar opposite fucking opinion on it. There are those folks that are completely inspired by it and they're making really great work with it. And there are those people that are deathly afraid of it and what it means to the business and what it means to getting paid. And uh, there's validity in both sides. Let's just put it that way. And uh, there's this sense of technology sort of railroading business and it 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 does man like napster changed the music industry um then you had you know uh torrenting changed the film industry the streamers netflix changed the, the distribution industry um you know youtube changed the music video industry uh and at the end of the day it's done some great things but also there's been a wake where people are having trouble getting paid so um, I, I, I got to do some responsible episodes. So we'll, we'll try to set it up. All right. Remind me. I'll put this on my list. You see my fucking to-do list, by the way. I'll read you my... All right. This is what's going on. What do we got going on? So... All right. So for the film, I got to finish recording some voiceover work. I got to lay that in. Uh, I got to have a sound effects recording day. We got to record a bunch of chains, a bunch of screams. That stuff's going to happen. Uh, I was working on finalizing the edit this morning about one third of the way through that. So we're going to go do that. Oh, I'm behind on my tax prep. Got to do that. I got to print out my tax stuff. Oh, here's the other thing. I've got some t-shirts, man. So a while ago, I was trying to sell sell you guys some shirts for uh, the podcast and uh, 12 cam. I have a box of t-shirts that are here. 
And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sell off some t-shirts to folks that want to pay for them. And those shirts will be signed by me. You guys into this? Send me a note, a message on Instagram at Mike Petchy, and let me know if you're interested in getting a t-shirt that is signed by me. I will do that for you guys. And these are great shirts, uh, really well printed. I've got some of those white skull shirts. I've got some silver skull shirts, and I've got some storyboard shirts kicking around. Um, and uh, I want to sell off a few of them to break even on the purchase of my shirts. So let's do it, man. All right. Um, let's see. Anything else that I wanted to talk about? That's it. A lot of shit going on, man. I got to get back to work. Um, thanks for listening to the show. Lots of episodes on the way. I just sent out some feelers for some great guests. Um, so I'm going to try to bang these out while trying to get this fucking movie done by uh, April 1st. Yeah, right. So we'll see. All right. I'll talk to you. See you next Tuesday. Bye.